there's a story of a man who walked into a restaurant and saw that they offered free Wi-Fi service. So when his waitress came to the table, he asked her for the Wi-Fi password. The waitress told him, eat first. So the man understood, and so after placing his order, he asked again for the Wi-Fi password. The waitress told him, eat first. The man began to grow in frustration, but he maintained his temper. The food arrived, he ate it, and then for the third time, he asked the waitress for the Wi-Fi password. Much to his chagrin, the waitress told him, eat first. Having already ate, the man lost his patience and demanded to speak to the manager. He asked the manager for the Wi-Fi password, and the manager said, eat first. At this point, the man yelled, I am calling the Better Business Bureau. And he angrily grabbed his jacket, and he marched towards the exit. And on his way out, he saw a sign on the wall, and it said, free Wi-Fi for all guests. Password, eat first. You know, church, I'm amazed at how dependent we've become on Wi-Fi. What was once a commodity has now become a necessity for day-to-day life. When we're not connected, it's like we don't know what to do. I mean, there's nothing uh, more tragic than looking at your cell phone and seeing that little X next to your Wi-Fi symbol. And then you go and look at it and it says, connected, no internet. What are you supposed to do with that? Connected to what? If you don't have the internet, you don't have Wi-Fi. Am I right or am I right? I mean, are you really connected? Occasionally, we'll have a power outage here at the church, and when this happens, it's like a whole, uh, the whole operation just kind of shuts down when there's a power outage. Uh, because when we don't have access to our server, uh, we don't have access to the internet, or we don't have access to our computers, uh, when we don't have any power, uh, when we're not connected, it impairs us from doing our job effectively. And church, the same could be said when it comes to our faith. You see, God wants us to be effective. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to experience the full breath of the abundant life and the blessings that he offers. But sadly, for many Christians, they're lacking effectiveness and blessings in their faith because they're not connected to the object of their faith. This morning, as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, we're going to find Jesus emphasizing the importance of staying connected to him or abiding in him nine times. Nine. Someone told me, Mike, you could preach a nine-point sermon today. Point one, abide. Point two, abide. Point three, abide. Point four, abide. Now, I'm not going to preach a nine-point sermon today, but Lord willing, I'm going to unpack why it's absolutely critical, critical for believers to stay connected to Christ. And so today's truth to remember is this. The blessings of the Christian life come by abiding in Christ. Really only come by abiding in Christ. So if you will, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. It's page 901 in the Pew Bible if you don't have your own Bible with you today. And as you're turning there, I just want to pray one more time and ask God's blessing on our time as we enter into his words. Let's let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, preach your word again. And, and Lord, every time I have this opportunity, what a privilege it is. And, and God, it's, it's a scary uh, privilege because, God, there's, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with, with teaching your word. And, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide 
me and my thoughts and my words and and God, that, that your word would convict our hearts this morning and, and would work in and through us. And, and God, may we, may we be receptive uh, to what it is you would, you would have us uh, to, to learn uh, this morning. And God, I just commit this time uh, into your care and ask that I would get out of the way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give you some context, today's passage picks up right where, I mean, right where we left off. Uh, last week. Very soon, Jesus was going to be arrested, unfairly tried, and crucified. And so he was preparing his disciples by giving them some final instructions. Last week, we saw Jesus promising them a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with them and in them. And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that they would be able to carry on Christ's work after he departed. And so in light of this truth, Jesus continued to encourage his disciples and us that when it comes to being, being an effective follower, uh, with him, or excuse me, without him, we could do nothing, but with him, we could do everything. And so let's begin by reading today's passage. It's John 15, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we'll read the whole thing, and then we'll, we'll break it down. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So today's passage begins with some imagery that means little to us but would have meant and would have carried a lot of weight to the disciples. In verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Uh, he was proclaiming to be something that his people, the nation of Israel, failed to be. You see, Israel was God's chosen nation. They were his chosen vineyard to bear fruit. In fact, God had equipped Israel with everything that they needed to reveal his word and carry out his work into the world. Moreover, God promised to bless Israel as they walked in obedience to him. But Israel failed. Sure, they bore fruit, but it was bad fruit. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4 says, What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? This is a reference to, to Israel. So therefore, by declaring himself to be the true vine, Jesus was taking the place of Israel and becoming that healthy vineyard that they failed to be. He walked in perfect obedience to the Father and revealed his will to the world. And so right out of the gate, we're reminded that only Christ alone can produce righteous fruit. Which means, if we want to produce righteous fruit, then we need to stay connected to him. And so this uh, brings us to the first of three realities for every believer that's found in today's passage. Here's the first. 
God wants believers to bear fruit. God wants believers to bear fruit. Let's look again at verses 2 and 3. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, in my hands, I have two apples. Can you see that? Now, even though both of them are the same kind of fruit, and even though both of them look really similar, there's actually a radical difference between each apple. You see, one apple is real, and the other apple is artificial. You see, one apple is authentic, and the other apple is synthetic. One apple provides sustenance. This is my lunch, by the way. Not really. And the other apple provides decoration. One apple has many uses, and the other apple is pretty much useless. In church, as believers, the Lord wants us to bear fruit in our faith. But he doesn't want us to bear any kind of fruit, because we could do this all day, can't we? We can look good on the outside, but have nothing on the inside. God wants us to bear fruit that actually gives life, that gives sustenance uh, to those around us. I've heard it illustrated this way. First, fruit reflects the character of its tree. Apples come from apple trees. Oranges grow on orange trees. And so the fruit of the Christian life should reflect Christ, his attitudes and his actions, his character and his conduct. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Second, fruit is visible. The presence of fruit lets you identify a tree's kind and whether or not it's healthy. An authentic follower of Christ is a visible follower of Christ. He's not a secret agent saint. And third, fruit is always for the benefit of others. If you're always serving yourself instead of others, your fruit is going to rot on the tree. And so if this is the type of fruit that, that God wants us, you and I, his children, to produce, the question is, how do we produce it? And how do we produce it in a way that's not artificial, but real and genuine and life-giving? Because let's face it, there are many Christians, and all of us fall into this category. We're all guilty of it. There are many Christians who on the outside look exactly just like the fruit I described. Oh, they're, they're bearing fruit like it's going out of style. But on the inside, they're just as empty as the artificial apple. And sure, they may fool some people around them, but deep down, those same Christians, they're so tired and they're unsatisfied and they're dejected in their faith. Which is the polar opposite, by the way, of what a Christian should be. You see, church, the secret to producing this type of fruit is recognizing, listen, we can't produce it at all. You see, if, if we are trying to produce fruit in our own power, it's always going to be artificial. We can't produce our own fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's God's Spirit. It's, it's the Lord working through us that allows any fruit that gives life to come out. If we're trying to do it in our own strength, it may look like fruit, but it's not going to feel much like fruit. And so as we see in these first few verses, the real stuff comes solely through the Lord. Look at verse 2 again. He says, every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on the words takes away. Some translations uh, may read cuts off. 
Jesus is not suggesting that believers who don't bear fruit are permanently cut off from him because they're believers and, and you can't lose your salvation. Um, otherwise, we'd all be in trouble because we're all guilty of not bearing fruit from time to time in our Christian walk. Now, there's, there's varying ideas on what that verb could mean, and, and, and guys that have a lot of time to spend in their offices deciphering that have come up with no consensus, really. There's a bunch of different viewpoints. And so I want to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. What is the metaphor that Jesus is using? What is the point he's trying to make? And it's this, a branch that doesn't bear fruit doesn't help the tree, right? It's not any good. And so a believer who doesn't bear any fruit doesn't help the cause of Christ, they're not any good. Sounds harsh, but you could understand the logic, right? James 2.26 says, For the, as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart, apart from works is dead. In other words, it's not works that saves us, but man alive, if, if, if we placed our faith in Jesus and, and we're supposed to live for the cause of Christ and submit to his spirit and, and, and do what Dave talked about earlier about being change agents in our valley and world, if we're not doing anything, then our faith really is kind of dead and pointless and futile and meaningless, right? God wants believers to bear fruit. And as we see in the second half of this verse, he's ultimately the one that helps us bear it. Look at part two of, of, of verse two. And every branch that does not bear fruit, or that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. You know, every spring, Carrie and I, and sometimes Donnie Smith, will prune a couple apple trees that are sitting in my backyard. Now, the reason why we prune them is because without proper care, they're going to grow wild and look unappealing. Ironically enough, we don't prune them for the fruit. I don't want any of the apples on my apple tree because that only means that I have to clean them all up at the end of the season when they're all on the ground. However, pruning helps produce fruit nonetheless. Well, here we learn that God the Father prunes or takes care of those who are in Christ so they too can bear more fruit and not grow wild and look unappealing. However, keep in mind, the pruning process requires some snapping, doesn't it? It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always look good. The pruning process for believers who are bearing fruit, if, if you are bearing fruits, God's going to continue to prune you so that you would bear more, but it may not always look easy. I mean, think of it this way. Why do we iron shirts? It's to get the wrinkles out, right? Because wrinkles don't make us look very good. However, the only way to get the wrinkles out of the shirt is to apply the hot iron. Well, in the same way as believers, we're called to bear fruit and glorify God, to make him look good. And so as we continue in obedience to this calling, God's going to continue to press out those wrinkles in our lives that make him look wild and unappealing. But the reality is this, when it comes to ironing, nine times out of ten, you've got to use the hot iron, right? Which means, friends, sometimes God will allow trials and challenges or struggles in our lives, not to harm us, but to help us bear more fruit. In fact, when God allows trials in our lives, it's really a display of his love and affection for us, as difficult as that may sound. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. It says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvests of right living for those who are trained in this way. See, God disciplines those he loves. 
Now, let's be honest, no one in their right mind wishes for the trial, right? How many of you guys, man, just bring it on. I want a trial in my life. Anybody in here that's that insane? Because we have counseling for that, right? See, nobody wants the trial. No one says, man, I hope God just really lays one on me today. But as believers, we at least have the comfort of knowing that the one who controls the iron is good and holy and just. And that he loves us and he cares for us and that everything that he does has a good purpose behind it for those that are his own. And so this is why God calls us to look at trials and struggles differently than the world. You see, the world looks at trials and says, how could God do this to me? Whereas believers should look at trials and say, how does God want to use this for me? James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You read that right. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Look at the fruit. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, all this to say, Jesus assured his disciples and us that those who are in Christ will be properly, lovingly, and tenderly cared for by the Father to help them grow. And in verse 3, Jesus assured his disciples they were clean. They were in Christ. This wasn't a salvation issue. But because they were in Christ, they could trust the vine dresser with the process, the pruning process. However, the fruit-bearing process will only come to fruition, pun intended, if they stayed connected to Christ. And this leads us to the second reality for every believer. Believers bear fruit by abiding in Christ. See, God wants all believers to bear fruit, but believers bear fruit by abiding in Christ. Let's look again verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is a story is told of a man whose sprinkler system wouldn't turn on, and his beautiful green yard started to turn brown. And so he called a serviceman over, and he asked him to take a look at it. And so he looked at the system for about an hour, and he came back and told the man that the wire that connects to the unit that connects to the water was disconnected. Sheepishly, sheepishly the man remembered that he was the one that unplugged it earlier in the week. You see, there wasn't a a problem with the system, nor was there a problem with the water. There was simply a problem of broken contact by the user. In in church, some Christians have lives that are getting brown. You know? They're just getting brown. Some of them have have lost their greenness. Some of them have lost what they once had. And and it's not a water problem because Jesus said that he will give us a, a well that will spring up to eternal life. And it's not a power problem because Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit to give us power and to help us. The problem is that at some point, the wire that connects them to the source of power was disconnected by the user. Are you with me? At some point, those Christians whose whose lives are getting brown and fruit is looking kind of rotten and just things are not looking as green and lush as they used to be, it's not a God problem. It's a user problem. Something happened with the connection. I want you to notice the main command in these few verses. The imperative of this text is abide. Abide. 
As you see, Jesus used this word four times in just these two verses, and again, he uses it a total of nine times in these 11 verses. Now, I could be wrong, but I, I, I suspect Jesus is trying to hammer home a point here to his disciples and to us. Abiding in Christ, staying connected to him, is a critical part, absolute essential part of bearing fruit. I love the, the words. I came across some, a quote from Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle. He's a pretty old guy. See him right there? He's really dead now, but he's got a really good quote. <laughs> he's with Jesus, but he said this. Um, just listen to the quote, okay? Ignore the, the foolish joke. All right, so he says, Abide in me, says Jesus. Cling to me. Stick fast to me. Live the life of close and intimate communion with me. Get near to me. Roll every burden on me. Cast your whole weight on me. Never let go of me for a moment. Be, as it were, rooted and planted in me. Do this and I will never fail you. I will ever abide in you. It's a wonderful quote. On the other hand, when believers choose not to abide in Christ, their fruit quickly turns brown. And if it goes unchecked and unrepentant, it will eventually bring them to a place in their faith that no believer wants to be. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, you need to remember something. Not every time we see the word fire in scripture is it a reference to hell. Jesus is not speaking about eternity because his audience is believers. They already have eternal life and it wouldn't be eternal life if it wasn't eternal. So you can't lose your salvation. So he's not talking about, well, if you don't, if you don't abide in me, you're going to hell. That's not what Jesus is saying here. More than likely, Jesus is reinforcing the fact that believers who disconnect themselves from him cannot bear fruit, and therefore they're good for nothing. And Typically what happens when you use just this picture illustration is if you've got branches that you're cutting off on your tree because they're not good for anything, eventually they end up in the fire, right? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless. And the farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. Friends, there, there's a lot we could get into here. This is talking about the discipline that comes, that the Lord gives to his, to his children. Not the type of discipline, the pruning discipline, but another kind of discipline that happens when believers uh, choose to live a life of consistent and unrepentant sin. And that's not really the topic of today's uh, sermon. But I, I will say this. There's nothing more tragic than an unproductive Christian life. Especially because the power to produce in our Christian life is, is already given to us by the Lord. We already have the Holy Spirit. We have the power uh, to tap into. And so Jesus encouraged his disciples. He says, as long as you stay connected to me, you're going to be fully equipped to face any challenges that come your way. And the same is true for us. The disciples were going to face some unprecedented challenges when Jesus went to the cross. And this leads us to the third reality for believers. Abiding in Christ brings blessings to believers. See, God wants believers to bear fruit. Believers bear fruit by abiding in Christ, but abiding in Christ brings blessings to believers. You know, Dave mentioned earlier about this passage. It's not just what we can do for God. God shows us what he does for us when we abide in him. Look at verses 7 to 11. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Church, almost every year, my wife and I, excuse me, my wife and daughter go strawberry picking at one of those strawberry places in Clark Summit. And I used to go as well, but the problem is that the strawberries I picked would never make it into the bucket, if you're you're understanding what I'm saying. Because uh, there was all this wonderful succulent fruit right in front of me, and, and how could I not, when I put it in my, in my, my, my fingers, just, you know, just take a bite of it and chuck it? You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I think Carrie caught on to that through the years. So she, she basically disinvited me from coming strawberry picking uh, with her and, and, and Kylie. And I think she decided that she would be more productive without me there. And I can't argue with that uh, reasoning. But, church, here's the deal. While, while it's good to abide in Christ and it's good to bear fruit uh, for Christ, it's even better when we get to taste the fruit, when we get to see some of the benefits of the fruit. Because in these closing verses, Jesus revealed to his disciples that the blessings, or excuse me, the blessings that result from abiding in him. There's four of them. Let's look at the first. He says, we will experience God's answered prayer. We will experience answered prayer. Look at verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Church, the more time that we spend connected to Jesus, the more time that we spend consuming his word and and, and spending time in prayer, the more we're going to find our will aligning with God's will. And when our will aligns with God's will, we are promised that God will answer our prayers. Look at at, uh, Psalm verse 37, 4 and 5, chapter 37, verses 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, Trust in him and he will act. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. The confidence. Like that word. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now this doesn't mean... Oh, so, so you mean, like, like but, but, but Pastor Mike, I've been praying that I would hit the lotto like every single week for the past 50 years of my life and God hasn't answered yet. This is not the kind of God's will thing that we're talking about here. It's about God's will aligning, or your will aligning with God's will. And so I think if you spend a lot of time in scripture, you're going to learn that, that it's not about the, the lottery and you're going to find that, <laughs> that your will is, is, is going to start becoming more of what God wants for your life. And, and when you start to catch on to that, your, your prayers are going to change. And when your prayers start to change, you're going to start seeing them get answered more and more. The second blessing, we will give God glory. And that is a blessing when our lives give God glory. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren tells a story of a man named uh, Andrea Bitov. I think that's how you pronounce it. He was a Russian novelist, and he grew up under an atheistic communist regime. And so one day, God got his attention, and Andrea, or Andrea, uh, or Andrea, whatever, recalls. He says this, 
He says, in the 27th year, in my 27th year, while riding the metro to Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, I was overcome with despair so great that life seemed to stop at once, preempting the future entirely, let alone any meaning. Suddenly, all by itself, a phrase appeared, without God, life makes no sense. Repeating it in astonishment, I rode that phrase up like a moving staircase and got out of the metro and walked into God's light. Friends, we were created by God and for God. The the chief end of man, the primary purpose for our lives is to glorify him. Therefore, when we're connected to Christ, life begins just to make more sense. Why? Because when we're connected to Christ, we're fulfilling our God-given purpose. And when you start fulfilling your purpose, so many people are asking, what's the purpose of life? They're trying to figure it out, and God's like, this is it. Glorify me, and you're going to find this fulfillment you never had before. That only happens when we abide in Christ. Look at the third blessing. We will grow deeper in God's love. Verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know, one of the things that Carrie and I tell our kids all the time is that there is nothing that they can do to make us stop loving them. Because, you know, they do stuff that we don't necessarily want them to do. But we always remind them, hey, listen, there's nothing that we may not be happy about this, but there's nothing you could ever do to make us stop loving you. And at the same time, really, there's nothing that they can do to make us love them more. They're loved, and that's just it. However, there is something special, something deeper, something more intimate, a deeper connection, a deeper bond forms when our kids walk in obedience to us. And if you're a parent, you could understand that, right? All of a sudden, when you tell them 526 times to do something, they don't do it. But then that one time they do it unprovoked, unasked, and it's like the celebration happens in the house, right? Like, wait, you did that without being asked to do it? And, like, I mean, sometimes there's literal celebrations in the Butash house when, some, when these things happen. And, and, and it's cool because when they start to get it, when things start to click and they start kind of doing the things you want them to do, not in a militaristic way, but just because you know it's going to be for their benefit, it's like, wow. And this, 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 you can't even really explain it, but if you're a parent, you kind of get it. Like, when your kids get it, there's something that happens. There's just something that happens in your relationship. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God. We're his kids. You see, there's nothing that we can do to make him stop loving us, and there's really nothing that we could do to make him love us more. However, when we abide in Christ, it leads to obedience, and when we obey, a deeper, more intimate love relationship begins to happen with with Jesus. And it's kind of hard to quantify that. We talked about it a little bit last week. Remember John 14, 21? Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and what? Manifest myself to him. And last week I tried to explain and unpack a little bit of what that means, but the reality is it's, it's kind of it's one of those hard things to explain. You just kind of know it when it's happening. You have this, this closer, deeper, intimate connection, more trust with God than you ever had before, but it only happens through obedience. When you're bearing fruit, and you can't bear fruit unless you're abiding in Jesus. Lastly, the fourth blessing, we will receive God's joy. Joy. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be full. Friends, the joy that we receive in Christ is not superficial happiness. It's, it's supernatural contentment. It's the type of contentment that transcends difficult circumstances and, and also fully embraces blissful ones. It's the type of contentment that even though a storm may come our way, or even though the army may be approaching, we're able to say the joy of the Lord remains my strength. You know, you read stories sometimes of, of these missionaries and, and brothers and sisters in Christ that, have, that are going through, in our estimation, just insurmountable, terrible, terrible circumstances. Some of them being martyred, some of them being spit on, beat up, whatever, and yet they're in their, their prison cell meant for six, and there's 50 of them in there. And they're praising the Lord, and they're singing his praises in the muck and the mire. And we look at it and wonder, where is this coming from? Like, how, do they, how could they possibly in that moment have any joy in their lives? Why are they not cursing the Lord? Why are they, why are they blessing him in the midst of so much chaos? Friends, I suspect it's because they're abiding in Jesus. They are so closely connected to him that they have this joy that's unspeakable, that's unfathomable, unless you're connected. It's been said, joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts announcing that the king is in residence. See, church, these are just a few of, of the many blessings that God has in store for his children. However, these blessings can only be accessed if we're abiding in Jesus. And that leads us back to today's truth to remember. The blessings of the Christian life come by abiding in Christ. And so in closing, I ask, are, are you, church, are you abiding in Christ? An honest reflection of your heart, are you connected to him? Are you bearing fruit in your faith? Are you enjoying these blessings and benefits of knowing him? If your answer is no, man, I just want to encourage you to, to, to ask the Lord right now this morning, God, what is it? Like, what is causing this disconnect? And, and you probably already know what it is because generally speaking, we're, I mean, God never disconnects from us. We're the ones that disconnect from him, right? And so you probably already know what that thing is, but maybe yeah, search your heart anyway. Maybe you've got to reveal some things. And whatever it is, I want to encourage you to repent of it. You just, it's not worth it. It's not worth being disconnected from Jesus. And so repent of it, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and, and make that connection secure again. And you're going to start being able to bear fruit and grow in your faith and, and receive some of these blessings that come through abiding in him. Or perhaps you're here today and, and you've never been connected to Jesus. You're not a believer who's disconnected. You're just someone that's never been connected in the first place. Friend, if that's you, I, I, want, I want you to know something. That Jesus loves you so much. And he wants to save you. And he desires to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be connected with him, not just this side of heaven, but for eternity. And he's made a way to make that happen. He wants to give you the gift of heaven. And all that's required of you to receive it is belief. John 3.16 says it best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friend, if you 
need Jesus to save you today, then ask him to save you. Just ask him to save you, and he will. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can get saved right now, right where you're sitting. All you have to do is believe that you're a sinner, that Christ died for your sins, and ask for his forgiveness. Place your faith in him and him alone. If you're jiving with me this morning, just look. At this. He says, the way to me is, 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 is through Jesus. It's just believe. Believe. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your good works. Don't trust in your morality. Trust in me. I've got it covered. I paid the penalty. Believe in me. Trust in me and I will save you. And then ask him. Ask him to help you stay connected to him by abiding in him for the rest of your life. I want to close with, with a verse from, from 1 John 5.5. 5. I, I uh, saw this verse last night, and I just thought, man, that's a great verse. Listen to this. He, how many of you want to overcome the world? Say amen. You, you want to hear something? He that overcomes the world, or who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's only going to happen through belief in Jesus and staying connected to him. I'd like to invite the praise team forward. We're going to close in song. I'm going to pray for you today. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to preach a wonderful passage of Scripture, John 15. And Lord, the, the, the overarching truth remains that we need to abide in you. And God, I thank you for that reminder because I'm, I'm, I'm betting, and, and this includes me as well, that there, there are people in this room that just don't sense it, that don't feel like they're bearing the fruit, the fruit's getting brown. And maybe, maybe up to today they haven't been able to, to kind of put a finger on what the problem was. And God, perhaps this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit and your word, you've shown them, hey, you're not abiding in me. And God, if that's the case, I pray that, that our people that would repent of that, Lord, and come back to you to get reconnected, that your Holy Spirit, even right now, would reveal to them what it is that's caused the disconnect. Bring them back, Lord Jesus. And God, if there's someone in our midst that, that has never been connected, but this morning wants to be, help them to understand the simplicity and the wonderful truth of the gospel. May they place their faith in you today. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.